roundup for this month, November, uh, almost over, but we're just getting in under the wire. So let's talk about what's going on in November in the wonderful world of wealth tech. First story up is Altruist switching over from Drive Wealth to Apex for clearing custody provider. Altruist, which uh, I consider a sort of a hybrid custodian, they're they call, they call themselves a fully integrated digital brokerage platform, which really can be said about a lot of uh, custodians. But they uh, have switched from using Drive Wealth for their underlying custodian uh, and custody services to Apex Clearing. And, and Altruist is a great story uh, with Jason Wink. Uh, it was his third startup. Uh, they, they're really killing it. Uh, you know, there's no other firms out there that have been growing as fast as Altruist has. Uh, certainly not in the, whether you call yourself a digital brokerage platform or you call yourself a custodian. I believe they've, they're up to 600 RA clients and they just piloted their software in December of last year. So less than a year in operation and already 600, at least close to 600 RA clients. It's impressive. Their, their technology is, is great from what I can see. I've seen, I've seen uh, demos and, and talked to some people who are using the software. Everyone seems to like it even though it was just piloted and it only had limited functionality, what they offered was good enough to attract a decent number of firms. One thing that's interesting about Altruist is uh, they didn't build their own custodian platform. That's a huge, huge lift for any company, especially a startup. They're basically just an introducing broker for another custodian, whether it's Drive Wealth or now Apex. So Apex is the underlying custody for Altruist. It's something we've seen some other of the, what we used to call second tier custodians. I'm not sure you can use that term anymore, uh, but firms like Trade PMR, uh, which resell, resold custody from First Clearing or partnered with First Clearing for their custody, and uh, a firm called Trading Front, which partners with interactive brokers for custody. I mean, there are some second tier custodians who built their own custody, firms like Scott Trade, Trust Company of America, Folio Institutional, which are all gone. They're all uh, acquired by other firms, Scott Trade by TD, Trust Company of America by E-Trade, which then got bought by Morgan Stanley, and Folio Institutional, of course, by Goldman Sachs. Uh, the other couple of firms that are still competing in the second tier space for these small advisors are Shareholder Services Group, LifeWorks Advisors, which is a new company I, I never heard of before. They're just out. Uh, National Advisors Trust and Millennium Trust. So there is still some competition in the space, although it's so tiny when you compare them to Schwab with trillions in AUM and these guys have, you know, tens of billions, if that uh, each. So it's a, it's like a drop in the bucket, but it's still a business model and it's still profitable for these firms that they can build on top of their custody and uh, give their technology away for free, basically, which is what I know uh, Trade PMR does and uh, Trading Front does. And that's also Altruist's business model is, is give away the technology and make the money up on the back end, you know, the 15 to 25 basis points. Of, uh, of custodial services and, and things that they can sell. What's interesting is the conversion from Drive Wealth to Apex was driven really by, uh, from what I heard, uh, one of Drive Wealth's subcontractors that was providing ACAT services for them. Uh, that firm was bought out uh, by Peak Six, Peak Six being a PE firm that owns Apex. So uh, Apex, uh, Peak Six bought Drive Wealth's ACAT vendor. And then uh, had some issues or shut them off. And then Drive Wealth couldn't provide ACATs to Altruist. So Altruist switched over to Apex. It's a vicious cycle, but that's the uh, the dog eat dog world. You know, Drive Wealth 
has a lot of uh, high profile clients, but mostly in the B2C space, firms like Money Lion, Stake, Revolut, Hatch, those mobile uh, financial apps with retail, the direct to retail investors. And that's really where Drive Wealth's strengths have been. Um, you know, building these platforms that um, go directly to consumers, you know, they don't really have the infrastructure to support what financial advisors need, which is, I think, one of the reasons why, another one of the reasons why uh, Apex was a better uh, choice for altruist than Drive Wealth. So that was behind this, uh, this move. Uh, you know, one of the other interesting things I like about altruist, besides the name, which is great, you know, no one else really thought of to do that, you know, make a name that uh, sort of speaks ESG to people. And, uh, you know, it's, it's almost its own marketing without even having to spend a lot of time uh, money marketing. One thing that Jason Wink, the CEO, told me, uh, which I found was interesting, was the way he staffs his firm. Uh, they don't really hire a lot of people from the wealth management industry. His limit is no more than 15% wealth management experience people. He's looking for Silicon Valley, SaaS people, cloud people who know the business uh, from that end, uh, you know, building cloud native uh, technology, not specifically wealth management tech. And then they get them up to speed on wealth. And he feels that brings in a whole new line of thinking and really helps uh, move his firm forward and grow a lot faster and build a lot more cooler tools uh, and better stuff. So much uh, success and uh, much uh, uh, luck to all Chuist in continuing their success in the industry. Okay, the next story is uh, LPL Financial acquiring Blaze Portfolio rebalancing software for 12 to 17 million. 12 million plus another 5 million in contingencies or a total of 17 million. Is it just me or does it seem like some wealth management tech just doesn't have the cachet that other startups have payment firms and other types of, of technology. Uh, you know, we have these wealth management firms are going for what seems to be a pittance, you know, 12 to 17 million. Obviously it's nothing to shake a stick at, but when you hear firms, uh, you know, like Robinhood or others that are going for billions and then here you have these wealth firms that are going for double digit millions, even uh, LPL's other acquisition of advisory world, which is great technology on the, on the portfolio uh, proposal generation side, they got them for 28 million. So still not, uh, isn't breaking the bank of, of LPL with uh, 16,000 advisors and, and you know, their assets. But it's still some cool technology, something that fits into a need that LPL has. And the way I see it, LPL has been looking to offer more flexibility for advisors to manage their own portfolios. Uh, for example, with their centrally managed model wealth portfolios or MWP platform, which is really a UMA program, a unified managed accounts program running on a portfolio rebalancing engine provided by Tegra 118. And they needed that type of really uh, robust technology considering the size of their business. And it's been growing tremendously. I think the last data I saw was 2 billion. That was in May. Uh, I'm sorry, that's just an advisor sleeves. Sorry, their, their, their overall UMA is much bigger. But um, one thing about their UMA program is they're really pushing the advisor sleeve function, which hasn't taken off anywhere else as far as I know. Uh, it's been something that's been talked about in UMA for a long time, uh, allowing advisors to dabble, really just to build their own models in just one sleeve of the UMA. It still acts as a centralized uh, system where the home office is managing everything, the rebalancing, the models, the trading, the recon. You know, it's all uh, managed by the central 
home office. But this gives advisors some flexibility in just one sleeve that they can say, hey, Mr. Klein, I'm doing a little bit here too. Uh, it's not all the, the main office doing all the work. And while this type of tech has been available for a while in UMA, no one's really pushed to like LPIs. And as, as I said before, they've hit, uh, they announced $2 billion in assets in just the sleeves. And it's not the overall UMA, which I don't have the numbers on at the moment, but it's much bigger than that. And you know, this gives uh, the advisors the ability to have both best of both worlds. So outsourcing, rebalancing, trading, recon to LPLs, overlay management team, recons teams, and they can still build their own models uh, as well. And, you know, there aren't that many firms left that do portfolio rebalancing, right? Morningstar built TRX a couple years ago, Invesco bought Gemstep and Red Black and Portfolio Pathways. Uh, BlackRock uh, even bought some of Investnet. You know, Advisor Peak is one of the only remaining pure play uh, portfolio rebalancing tools left in the market. So I would expect some new ones to, pro- to crop up soon. Whenever there's a lot of acquisitions, some new players always come into the space. So looking for that to happen. You know, LPL or the Blaze isn't just rebalancing. Uh, one of the things that I know about them from talking to the CEO, Bryson, uh, over the years, their rebalancer is built on top of a pretty decent order management system with real-time pricing, intraday trading, which most rebalancers are not. Most rebalancers that are out there, including all the ones I mentioned before, um, are just rebalancing. Then they interface with an OMS and send the, the, the orders to there, and then they're sort of out of it. With the uh, Blaze built on top of the OMS and integrated tightly into it, you get a lot more functionality and a lot more control. Now, it's a little more complicated, but that's why Blaze isn't for everyone. It isn't for every advisor or advisory firm. It's only the ones that really want to get hands-on into that aspect of the, of the business. Uh, I believe that uh, on Blaze's side, half their trades were going uh, being, being done at the custodians and half being done at execution management services like Bloomberg and others. And a lot of algorithmic trading was going on. They were, they were emphasizing that. So that's another you know, very different type of advisor that needs that. It's looking for that type of, of trading and believes that that is part of their value added, whereas most advisors are moving away from that. So uh, that's still a, you know, a niche service, Blaze, but uh, LPL is large enough that even a niche uh, like Blaze can find uh, a place inside their 16,000 advisors and they, they want to offer these types of services to their teams and, and uh, continue to attract advisors to the platform. And next up on the news roundup for November, we have Y charts. Uh, y charts get some uh, uh, get some equity investment. In fact, they were bought out. All their previous investors were bought out by a company called LLR Partners, which now owns 100% of Y charts. You can check them out at YCharts.com. And they started out as a charting tool for active managers, targeting advisors who really were looking for deep equity research capabilities at an affordable price. They also had a free version for a while. I'm not sure if they have it anymore. Uh, and I, I know I used it, uh, the free version, which I thought was really cool. Uh, when they first started out back in 2013, 2014 or so, 2015, I think I was using the free version. I'm not sure they had that anymore. But you're know, going from a tactical trading charting tool and building out into a full-fledged research and analytics platform for RAs, uh, broker-dealers, NASA managers. And now YCharts has more than 6,000 users, which are primarily financial advisors, uh, but they also have partners, uh, other clients that are much bigger, like LPL, Dynasty, and John Hancock Investments. So it's, uh, that shows the, the strength of their tools and how they've been growing. They do compete with Morningstar Direct 
uh, and, and a bit with Refinitiv. And they've been investing in their tools that help advisors build their own models. Um, by the way, Morningstar was an investor in YCharts, but they've been bought out. So now I guess they're free to compete a little bit uh, more openly with Morningstar's products uh, since they do overlap a bit. Well, some of the things I like about YCharts, besides their, uh, their investing, uh, their analytics platform, uh, their models are, are, are well done, the way they the way they built them, the way they designed them, uh, the way it's managed is, is very cool. Uh, they've got some proposal generation tools, which again is all part of the same platform. So it's nice to have that. Uh, they have a current versus proposed uh, screen. So for advisors to show, hey, Mr. Klein, here's your holdings that you have now. Here's where I'm going to put you. Here's why it's better. That's a very common offering for portfolio, or rather proposal generation tools. So now YCharts is building that. So they're really expanding beyond, way beyond just uh, investment analytics. Uh, the other uh, interesting things I think about this deal uh, with LLR partners, a private equity firm buying YCharts, is that they also own in their portfolio a company called PCS Retirement, which offers retirement solutions for financial advisors, plan sponsors, TPAs. And that seems like a company that could use tools like YCharts is offering to those advisors. Uh, why not give them more services? You know, these, if these advisors are, are managing retirement plans, they might be doing uh, some of their own equity research and could use uh, the YCharts offering. So bundling uh, PCS retirements offering with YCharts could be uh, a bonus or even part of, of the plan for LLR partners besides just helping YCharts grow and then flipping it at some point uh, and uh, cashing out. Uh, another aspect of YCharts that I like besides uh, the other parts of it, is they're, uh, they're starting to position themselves more as a communications tool. And we're seeing that with a lot of companies, uh, firms like um, eMoney Advisors uh, with, the, with their financial planning, they built out a marketing tool uh, to help advisors communicate. Orion Advisor did something similar, opened a, launched their own marketing platform. So a lot of firms are seeing marketing and investor communication as a way to be stickier, a way to offer advisors more options and also sell more product. Uh, it's always easier to sell more stuff to your existing clients than trying to bring in new clients. So a lot, a lot going for YCharts. Uh, I expect big things for them. Uh, they've even said they're, they're uh, planning possibly on some acquisitions with this new funding from uh, LLR partners. So uh, waiting to see what uh, goes on with them. And again, you can find them at YCharts.com. And the uh, next story we're going to cover is InvestNet and uh, their uh, Money Guide Pro financial planning software. Cool stuff they're doing with them. This is something I wrote about when they purchased them a couple of years back, that I saw this as more than just a deal for financial planning software. They weren't just buying Money Guide because they wandered off for planning and that's all. They really saw Money Guide as a gateway, as a, a way to access advisors who lived inside their planning tool. You know, when InvestNet, uh, forget not looking at the Tamrac piece of the business, but looking at their ENV2, their enterprise business, uh, they expect most advisors to live inside their tool, which means the advisors would be more investment focused. But there's a large contingent of advisors who are planning focused and they live in their planning tool. So buying Monday Guy Pro, which was the top or the top two with eMoney, depending on what data you look at for market share, the top one, two of uh, market share in the advisor business uh, that was generating 2 million plans a year is a great way to get access to advisors who weren't living inside their 
trading tool, weren't living inside their portfolio management tool. So what does an investment do? They're building out more functionality inside Money Guide so that advisors never have to leave. Instead of going into Money Guide, doing your plan and switching to do trading, rebalancing, or to, or to for example, buy insurance, now you can do it all inside of Money Guide. So it becomes a gateway. It becomes the, uh, the, the all-in-one um, place for advisors to live. And it gives uh, InvestNet more things to sell them through that platform, whether it's insurance and their credit, through their insurance and credit exchanges or other tools and technologies that you're going to see a lot more stuff coming through there. And I'm, I'm expecting more integration on the back end. Right now, financial planning is all separate. Everything's a silo. And we, under, we wonder, people ask me why, why is financial planning a silo? Because it's always been. It's just the way we've always done it. The CRM was a silo. Financial planning was a silo. Portfolio management was a silo which makes no sense. It's all this. They're all the same clients, right? You the same clients that are in the CRM eventually go once they become clients into the venture planning, into the portfolio management. And right now we're passing data back and forth, which is silly. Why don't have it in one place? So I would expect InvestNet to slowly start to migrate the data model over and their data architecture from money guide into the investment platform or combine it in some way with Yodely. So they have one giant data lake for everything. And that'll give them so much more power, and so much more of an ability to offer things like uh, a recommendations tool that they announced as well, which isn't available yet, but should be really cool uh, if it does what they say it does and does things like next best actions and gives advice to advisors on what they should be doing based on all the data they're getting, whether it's data from the portfolio management system, from the financial planning system, from Yodely, from Heldaway Accounts. Take all that, normalize it, and provide the advisor with just the, the, the basics. Here's what you have to do. Boom, boom, boom. Here are the things you want to call this, this client about. And it, saves, it will save them so much time and help advisors expand, scale, be able to support more clients, uh, but, but better, right? Offer them more services, have a better touch, uh, more even more empathy and more understanding of what the client's needs are. Yeah, well, uh, one thing I wanted to mention as well was InvestNet bought a company called Wheelhouse Analytics back in 2016. This was a really cool purchase for them and kind of a watershed in their um, shift to being more of a data company, right? The Yodely acquisition also really screamed, hey, we're a data company. And I think the Money Guy Pro purchase was also about data. As I mentioned earlier, they, they do 2 million plans a year. That's a lot of data. That's really just sitting in a silo and not really being analyzed and not being uh, managed. So uh, offering uh, tools, like I think they're offering something called Plan Pulse uh, in their Plan Analytics Premium uh, service, which gives advisors uh, some identification of, uh, clients that are missing certain things, missing goals or missing tools, missing insurance, whatever they are that they can then call them and say, hey, do you need this product? Saves a lot of time, should provide more revenue for clients. And I think Wheelhouse Analytics is, is in there somehow providing data analytics and other, other tools to help drive some of these dashboards and some of this analytics that they're showing uh, uh, in these demos of Money Guy Pro. So it's all going to be um, great for advisors. It's all going to help advisors grow better, uh, provide better services to more clients, and basically should be keeping InvestNet in the number one spot when it comes to both portfolio management systems and venture planning tools. And you can find InvestNet and MoneyGuy Pro at investnet.com. I want to take a break from this episode to talk about one of my favorite charities. It's the Invest in Others Charitable Foundation, which is a charity that amplifies the efforts of financial advisors who give back to their communities and communities abroad. 
Invest in Others provides a platform for financial advisors, their employees, and their firms to increase awareness, visibility, and funding for their favorite nonprofits. Over the past 14 years, Invest in Others has given more than $3 million to 300-plus charities across a variety of causes, including health and wellness, education and youth programs, arts and culture, hunger and poverty prevention, and military veterans and more. For more information, please visit investinothers.org. Uh, follow them on Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, and please make a donation and check if your company will match your donations. It'll double the benefit. Thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. And our last story for this episode, a news roundup, is uh, Orange Closing, the uh, company called Orange, RIA platform, model, marketplace, portfolio rebalancing, portfolio management, software, freemium software is closing. Announced on November 18th, they're closing their doors as of December 31st. So I had a lot to say about this. Uh, I called it a nasty surprise in a year of nasty surprises, which was quoted in thinkadvisor.com. And yeah, this really, this really caught me off guard. I'm sure it caught their clients off guard a lot more than me, but uh, I'd, I'd spent some time talking to David Lyon. Um, I interviewed him on my podcast a couple of times and saw him at conferences when we used to do that sort of thing. And they seemed like they had it all together, that they were doing well. But uh, I guess a lot is, is hidden below the surface. I even visited their offices out in Chicago. Uh, so it uh, just goes to show you uh, there's a lot more going on uh, than what uh, is shown publicly. And it really seemed to me that they really effed up here, uh, leaving their clients in a lurch. You know, six, uh, six weeks, six calendar weeks. And I think there was only like 15 actual days uh, looking at the uh, number of days uh, or 30 actual days. Um, how many days was it? I really should know this. If they closed November 18th, one, two, three, four, five, six weeks, so the six weeks, uh, which is 30 days, uh, 31 days, minus two, so 29 actual days, right? So there's 29 actual business days between the time they announced and the time that they're closing. That is just absurd. There, it's, I mean, a lot of these firms are sort of small. I, I get it. They're, they're individual advisors or small RIAs, but still. It, you don't just turn these things on and off uh, in a couple of weeks and expect it to work. And if they have any larger firms, uh, it's even going to be more of a problem. You know, you want to be running this stuff for a while. You want to spend some time making a decision to pick another vendor. You know, they picked Orange for a reason. They must have liked the interface, must have, must have liked the way they put things together. Now they got to find someone else and they probably have to change their processes because most firms adjust their processes to their vendor or find a vendor that meets most of their processes, the way they work. Now that's all out the window. Uh, so they've got to go in these six weeks, start doing some searching, find the vendors that are out there. Uh, and they're not, I mean, I'm in this industry every day. I'm always looking at vendors. Uh, most people are not doing that. So trying to find all the vendors, schedule demos, see which ones you like, make a decision, sign a contract, convert your data over, and, you know, and then get, get trained, get, get everything running, do some sort of parallel testing. I mean, usually you want to run at least one or two billing cycles in parallel to make sure things are working. Uh, and they can't do that. 
So it's going to be a disaster for a bunch of firms. And I wasn't happy about it. And I, I talked to a think advisor uh, about that. So they're really forcing a lot of firms to, to cram what could be six months or more of work into less than six weeks. And with the holidays, so people were planning on going vacation. And now what are they going to do? So what else did I say? I said, it's coal in the stockings of hundreds of mostly small RIAs, uh, which is true. Uh, it's not a good thing uh, here. I wrote, I wrote about this on, uh, on LinkedIn as well. And there was a couple of interesting comments from people. Uh, Randy Bullard from uh, Charles River, he was talking about, he, he's been through a couple of startups himself. And he was talking about how he's seen this wave of consolidation happen back in 2000 when the bubble, the tech bubble burst back then, that firms looked solid with good tech and then just disappeared. Which, again, I don't know what's going on in the background with, with Orange, but I really think they should have known a little bit more, uh, a little bit more in advance. Uh, I think uh, uh, Randy's comment was the day their investors don't have religion, it's over. And that's true. So maybe they just pulled the plug. Uh, Joe Morak, who is the head of uh, wealth management at Refinitiv, said it's all about stability and cash flow. If he's no new investors and cash flow is out, then basically he's, he's down the drain there. They, they, they couldn't pull through. Um, you know, he's seen it firsthand. Uh, he thinks he doesn't blame him for giving six weeks notice, and he thought he could have given them none and just shut down, which is true. So Joe's got a, a good point of view there. Uh, another good article I thought was from I can find the article here. Okay. Uh, Jason Wank, uh, CEO of Altruist, who we mentioned earlier in the program, he had a really good article, which I believe was on financialplanning.com. And I'll put the links um, in the show notes. You can, you can check that out. So he, he basically just did a little back of the envelope calculation that they were probably only getting like 250000 a monthly recurring revenue uh, from their clients, but they probably had over 500000 of expenses. So that's a run rate. You know, you're, you're, it's 2.5 million. That's plus five. That's a $3 million run rate uh, of, uh, of, expen- of, uh, of income versus a $6 million burn rate. So uh, you know, that, that's un- unsustainable. If, if that was true, again, that's just Jason's uh, opinion. So he, his opinion, the math doesn't work. And he makes some other good points at advisor tech. You see a lot of people say, we built this. This is advisors built this for advisors. It's very common for advisors to see a need and go and build something and then say, this is working great for us. Now let's go sell it, right? That's how Orion Advisor got started, you know, and a lot of other firms as well uh, that were very successful. But not all of them are. Uh, as Jason mentioned, most firms just stay small, like less than $5 million in revenue. And they just sort of lifestyle businesses. And then over time, they sort of go away. And other things come around and new tech comes in and new players and, and they get... Uh, overturned. You know, advisor tech is a tough business. It's tough to go in. Uh, most companies don't succeed. You're not going to make a fortune uh, since uh, in, in our industry, especially I mean, if you look at the earlier articles, I was talking about Blaze portfolio. The guy spent 10 years, Bryson of a hard work and equity uh, of his life and uh, got 17 million. When you're looking at other firms and other industries where they're throwing hundreds, hundreds of millions of dollars around, like it's nothing. Uh, I mean, even the institutional players can get burned, right? Wisdom tree, uh, wrote off a $50 million investment in advisor engine fintech firm, which was eventually sold to another asset manager. Uh, who knows uh, how well they'll do. So it's, it's not easy for anybody in this space. Uh, you got to be careful. Uh, you want to keep uh, your costs low. Uh, make sure you can, you can stay in business and you're not, uh, you're not uh, going out over your skis, as they say. 
So that's a, a wrap on this month's tech news. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, please make sure to like and subscribe to this podcast, whether it's on iTunes or anywhere you listen and share it on your social media. I'll talk to you all again next time.